Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Believe in Badger Football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by betonline.ag. Once again, I'm your host, Matt Perkins. Today, I have the honor of being joined by Bob Brainerd, sports radio host on 97.3 The Game Milwaukee, public address announcer for the UW-Milwaukee basketball team, play-by-play man for more sports than I can count, and more. Bob, thanks so much for spending a little time with me today. I wish you could count because I, I've kind of lost track myself. But thank you, Matt. Great to be here. All right. Yeah, like I said, appreciate you being here. And as you guys all know out there, uh, we are here at Believe in Badgers are brought to you by betonline.ag. The football season's in full swing. Basketball is almost here. And while you may not be at the games this season, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Uh, Bob, you know, we're here to talk about all things Wisconsin sports. You're tuned in to more things in the Badger State than I can count. So we're going to ask a couple of Wisconsin State questions for you. First of all, Giannis is sitting at plus 600 to three-peat for the NBA MVP this season. Second best odds right behind Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, do you think he's going to be able to become the first player since Larry Bird in the mid-80s to accomplish the three-peat for MVP? He'll certainly bring the effort to do just that, Matt. Um, you know, Giannis, Giannis has has a motor and then some. He's got a backup motor. He's got drive. He's got desire. He works his butt off in practice. He works his butt off when there isn't practice. Um, he is his worst critic. He's hard on himself. Uh, he wants better things for himself and for his team. So that being said, I think Giannis has all the tools to do it, to put up gaudy numbers again. I think what we've seen with, with any sport and any MVP voting is how does the team respond to the player? Very rarely does a player from a losing team, it happens every once in a while, but very rarely does that happen where a guy's an MVP. He's, he's such a shining star that you can't not give him the MVP. And I think the Bucs will be another good basketball team. It, you know, the jury is still out with all the moves that they have made and, and will make going forward. But how does the team respond? If Giannis is able to do what he's done in the past and the Bucs are a good basketball team and perhaps number one seed in the, in the, uh, the Eastern Conference once again, then I think that's all the consideration in the world. LeBron's going to be LeBron and, and he lifts his team up as well. But what does Giannis do to lift the Bucs? And how far do they go in the playoffs? And and all those factors will go in. Giannis certainly has the desire, however, to go out there and be another MVP guy this season. Yeah, you talked about a couple of those moves. Some people uh, don't really love the move for Drew Holiday. Personally, I love it. I actually think that he is an 
upgrade over Bledsoe and Hill combined. Bledsoe, we've seen, has had a lot of issues in the playoffs. George Hill has always been a middling player for me. Sometimes he's there, sometimes he's not. If you guys remember, a couple years ago, when the Pelicans played in the first round against the Trailblazers, Drew Holiday absolutely shut down Damian Lillard and made him look like a bum. Drew Holiday is an outstanding two-way player, one of the best defensive guards in the league, and someone who's a sneaky good playmaker. I think he's going to blend in this team really, really well. So I like that pickup for them a lot. It's too bad about Bogdanovich, you know, with all the crazy things that have gone on with that sign and trade. Sp sticking in the state of Wisconsin, though, uh, the Packers are running away with the NFC North, despite their loss to the Colts this weekend. We know that they're going to win the division, especially with the Bears offense being absolutely putrid. But at this point, they're sitting at plus 500 to win the NFC, only behind the Saints and the Buccaneers. How do you like their chances to return to the Super Bowl? Well, you mentioned the loss at Indy on Sunday, and, and that stings a little bit, but you've got enough pad if you're Green Bay in, in your division. You're, you're, you're still running right behind the Saints for the number one seed. They're one of the best teams in, in the NFC and the NFL, for that matter. So it's a blip. It's disturbing that they lost to the Colts, but it's not the end of the world. And when you, you take this right now, as we're getting late in the season, we're going to flip the calendar to December in a, in a week or so. You know, who are the handful of teams that you would like to go and run to the Super Bowl? Obviously, Pittsburgh. The Saints are in the conversation. Certainly, the Kansas City Chiefs. They are there. But so are the Green Bay Packers. So when you look at the congestion in the rest, rest of the NFC, there's not a lot there. There's more congest congestion, cloggage, if you will, Matt, over on the AFC, where you've got a lot of six and four teams, a lot of seven and three teams when, when it's Pittsburgh and everybody else. In the NFC, it, it, it really is. The, the Packers are a shining star over there because the 49ers with all the injuries have fallen off. So the best teams over on their side of the ledger, there's not a whole lot for them to contend. They have every opportunity to not only get the one seed, but if they're not the one seed, they have every opportunity to play in that NFC championship and play in the Super Bowl. So a blip on Sunday at Indy, yes, but going forward, they're going to be a strong football team. Yeah, they absolutely are. And, you know, I think that the NFC West, as we're seeing, is just cannibalizing itself between the Rams, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, you know. Every week, you don't know who's going to win out of those three teams because they can all beat each other on any given day. Bucks have been way up and down. Saints without Drew Brees. I mean, Taysom Hill looked adequate, you know, this weekend. But, you know, I think once you get to the playoffs, it's who knows. And the NFC East is potentially the worst division in the history of football. So no matter who your team is, from game spreads to totals, team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else online. Plus, there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Bob. Well, we have to talk about this ugly game from Saturday and it was unfortunate in a lot of different ways between the Badgers and the Northwestern Wildcats. Uh, you know, a lot of things went wrong, most notably five turnovers for the Badgers. What do you think accounted for the sloppy play? First of all, Matt, as you and I discussed before we started the podcast, I'm still crabby from Saturday and, and, and I'm, I'm crabby for a number of reasons. One, that the Badgers lost the football game because we, we, you and I talked on Saturday before the game. This was huge in so many respects because it's not only two unbeatens, but you had 
two teams that going forward, there's not much season left. And Northwestern has a very favorable schedule to run the table and represent in the Big Ten Western Division. So that's tough. Wisconsin still has Indiana left. They still have to play Iowa. They've got Minnesota coming up this week. But tougher schedules side by side, yeah, Northwestern has the advantage. So I'm, I'm crabby because this was a pivotal game. And going forward, this could play out like we actually think it'll play out. And Northwestern will win the division. Also crabby because you mentioned the turnovers. Very un-Wisconsin-like football play. Uh, they, they didn't take care of the ball. They, they, when you had the first couple turnovers, I'm, I'm the person that's screaming at the TV, ball security, take care of the football, number one priority. You know that's a priority with Paul Chris. And they didn't do that. They just continued to turn it over and they continued to get sloppy. Sometimes you can get away with that many turnovers and still win the football game depending on the opponent. Northwestern is not that opponent. You can't do that. And they know that with the defense that they played, you're not going to score a lot of points, which they didn't. You're not going to get a lot of snaps and opportunities, which they didn't. So you certainly can't have the turnovers. Take the turnovers out of the picture, Matt, and Wisconsin's in this football game, and they give themselves more chance to score and more opportunities to, to try, try to produce points against a team that doesn't allow a lot of points. 14 points a game, that's what they were giving up. Now they gave up less against Wisconsin. So uh, it, it, just, it, was, it was the perfect storm of things that you can't have happen when you're game playing against Northwestern. And they did. Yeah, it was just, I was screaming at the TV and unfortunately it wasn't just a turnovers for me. And now I'm not usually one who wants to use the refs as an excuse. Go and so for I'm, it. I'm going to couch this question by saying it's not the main reason the Badgers lost. The main reason is the five turnovers, but and there is a massive asterisk with this. The officiating in this game, particularly in the first half, was at best poor and at worst criminal. Because, A, all three pass interference penalties called against Wisconsin in the first half were questionable at best. The one against Caesar Williams was a was like I said, it's a crime. He played that that he played that perfectly on the interception, absolutely perfectly when he picked up Peyton Ramsey. The catch by Northwestern tight end Riley Lees on their first drive that set up the touchdown when he clearly had a foot out of bounds and they replayed it and he clearly has a foot out of bounds that was called a catch. Those are two plays that decisively changed the game as well as those other pass, inter pass interference penalties. Uh, the one against Scott Nelson in the end zone. The these were plays that were, you know, I don't know what the refs were seeing. I don't know if they need their vision checked. I don't know if there was something nefarious going on. I don't think that we have a Tim Donahue situation here. But my God, what was your take on the officiating in this one? It, it, it was abysmal. Um, you know, I, I had to go back like you did and just kind of think, all right, how did this equate to the end result of the football game? And, and yeah, there were some things that happened that you can say, if you take that away, then things change. Some of the things, some of the things that happened didn't lead Northwest Western points, but if, if you want to just make it, make it simplified in that means, okay, well, but 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 it, this this was a game about field position. So if you say, well, Northwestern still punted the football, but maybe they punted it closer, and maybe the field position shifted because of of calls that didn't go Wisconsin's way. When the announcers on the national broadcast are calling it out and don't let it go, I mean, when Sean McDonough and Todd Blackledge continue that conversation well into the second half about the first half miscues by the Zebras. 
then you know that something was wrong and and that I, th- there was one call i think it was i think it was matt the out of bounds call mm-hmm. and and the official there were two officials who were staring it down who were less than 10 yards away it, it, no even if you reverse calls and get it right through replay how do you make that initial call when you're that close and there's no traffic in front of you i i don't know now l- l- let me just wrap this all up um i agree with you uh did Northwestern deserve to win the football game? Yes, they were the better team on Saturday. Uh, did these calls affect the outcome of the game? Maybe some, probably overall, probably not. Um, you know, you turn it over five times, you don't deserve to really complain about the officials. If there was a critical, if, if this is uh, a tie football game and there's a questionable pass interference in under two minutes, and then it decides to go ahead touchdown. We'll be belling and aching about this a lot more. But then it's then it's a la Minnesota Purdue from Friday. But big picture overall, Wisconsin didn't do what they had to do. The referees just, you know what, Matt? They just set a bad tone for the football game. I had a bad feeling in my gut from the very first quarter on that things were not going to go Wisconsin's way. And I'm not Nostradamus, but there we go. They lost the football game. Yeah, and for me, I was just I, I was absolutely enraged. I wanted Barry to get on the phone <laughs> with the Big Ten uh, lead officials at halftime and give him a piece of his mind. You know, they used to call Barry, uh, well, I believe they called him the Capo di Tutto Capi, which is the uh, Italian phrase for the Don of all Dons uh, for in the Mafia uh, when they first had the playoff committee. And I th- I wanted him to use a little bit of that power to get on the phone with you know with Jim Delaney and the rest of the uh, uh, and the rest of the guys to say, hey, we need to do something about this right now because this is pathetic. There was only one penalty called against Northwestern the entire game. Wisconsin yeah. had eight called against them for 69 yards. It was just not a lot of fun. But again, on the flip side, you look at the stat sheet. Badgers outgained Northwestern by over 100 yards, especially on the ground. 136 to 24 advantage. Northwestern had less than one yard per carry. But offensively for the Badgers, obviously Graham Mertz, Four turnovers by himself, far and away his worst game as a collegiate. Were there any positive takeaways for you on the Badgers' offense here? We'll talk about the defense, which was very good, but let's talk about the Badgers' offense first. Any good things that you can glean from this one? Well, you know, the youngsters, Matt, um, you know, Jalen Berger stepping up. Uh, Jalen Berger getting a majority of the carries when Nikita Watson, I mean, it was slow sliding for everybody, but Nikita Watson just couldn't seem to, to figure out where the holes were and couldn't get the, the good burst. Jalen Berger had the burst and he was rewarded with that by Paul Christ and, um, and Joe Rudolph inserting him in saying, okay, let him carry the mail. You know, the kid's getting it done. So there's a future there. And, and, and that was a positive in the game. They couldn't cash in. He couldn't get the ginormous Jonathan Taylor burst where you get to the, the second and third wave and you take it to the house. But, you can see it. You can see that's coming. So that was a positive there. Uh, Chim DK, who caught the you know the touchdown for the only points that Wisconsin had in the game. This kid's going to be a real player. He's going to be a factor going forward. It, it, it it's it's a shame they didn't have the starting wide receivers. It's a shame they didn't have the seniors because if you're able to mix DK in with the seniors that didn't play, now you've got a few more weapons there for Mertz to work with. But 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 DK is showing that. His speed is going to be lethal in the Big Ten. He's going to be a factor. And the kid is not just a speed player who can't catch the football, who can't run routes. 
I called a couple of his games at Waukesha North High School, and 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 I wanted to see him in person, in action, to see what everything was about with him because I knew he was going forward to play for Wisconsin. The kid's the real deal. He, he's got he's got a great family. He's got great hands. He's got a great attitude. He's smart. He understands offenses. So it's not just a burner who's not going to finish and catch the football and take it to the end zone. What we saw with him, that's the first of many coming for DK. Yeah, but what that underlies, though, is a bigger problem with the fact that there are no sophomores and juniors that to step up at the receiver position. You're out Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor. You've got two walk-ons and Dunn and Crumholtz who, you know, are good run blockers. They're good. They're great special teams players, but they're not number one receivers. And they never and they, they never will be. Chim will be a number one receiver. But the fact that you have you've gotten nothing from the classes in between the senior and the freshman, the only guy who really contributed ever was Aaron Crookshank, who's now at Rutgers, closer to back home to New York for him. I mean, we've seen Stefan Bracey do a little bit. He's returning the ball on special teams this year, but you know, he hasn't really done a whole lot as as an offensive weapon. You know, we've gotten literally nothing out of Cade Green and Emmett Perry. There's been minimal minimal we've seen out of Taj Mustafa and AJ Abbott you know and so those were the four guys that they brought in in the classes in between and they've done literally diddly poo in you know in, in the words of uh in the words of Bob Euchre so <laughs> you know you mentioned Jalen Berger Jalen Berger is clearly the best tailback on the team I don't I don't think that is really going on at a limb at this point the more he's involved going forward the more dynamic the offense is going to be I think that Watson is not, he's not waiting for holes to develop. He seems to be slamming into the back of the line, getting caught up in the muck and getting tackled for two yards every single time. But for me, what really surprised me is that we didn't see the jet sweep at all in this game. I think we got one from Dunn, maybe, and maybe one from Krumholtz that was a loss of eight yards. Yeah. Uh, and... You know, that they use that against Michigan super effectively to make the defense think about it and open up the middle for some of those bigger runs, especially that 23 yard touchdown by Berger against Michigan. I think personally, they got to bring that back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm getting all wishy washy with you, Matt, because what going in, I didn't think that with the linebacking core that Northwestern has, how good they are, how disciplined they are. And the fact that, you know, they're watching that football game, they're watching tape against Michigan. And so, you know, they're ready for it. And, and I think Paul Chris, you know, the, the, the chess match that he and Joe Rudolph are doing is that we're not going to be able to get away with what we got away with against Michigan. They exposed Michigan and they knew going in, that was the game plan. We're going to attack the edges because we think we can be good there. And by gosh, they were. But against Northwestern, even if even if Northwestern didn't see what the Badgers did against Michigan, I don't think you're able to attack the edges. Those linebackers go side to side so much better than Michigan did. So I, I think they abandoned it for a reason. I, I think they just didn't think they were going to able to get away with it. And that's why you didn't see a whole lot. And it's it's easy to say, well, why don't you do do what you did against Michigan? Well, first of all, you don't have your starting wide receivers to do it who run it the best. And two, game planning. I, I, you, you try to take advantage. The, the, the advantage that Wisconsin was trying to take, take, take over against Northwestern was to, to try to run inside, which Jalen Berger did. So that was the key. It's like we can't get to the edges, so we have to create up front. 
And when the line did create up front, there were some holes there. So they took advantage. Now, they didn't pop it again. They didn't get past the secondary. And you got to credit Northwestern. They're saying, okay, you're going to get past our defensive line, but not our backers and certainly not our secondary. We'll give up some chunk plays here, but nothing big that you can take it to the house. So that's why Berger was so important. That's why his contribution was important because the jet sweep, the end arounds, they weren't going to happen against Northwestern. You can say all you want. Well, run it more. It worked against Michigan. Okay, if they run it as many times as they did against Michigan, I guarantee you, you're not getting the same results against the Cats. No. Um, you know, let's switch sides of the ball, though. Defensively, Badgers had another very strong game. I mean, they were putting some tough positions with all those turnovers. They held Northwestern to only 155 yards after the first quarter. Uh, defensively, on that side of the ball, what stood out to you the most? Well, everybody, Matt, to be honest, because the defense was up against this. The defense had to match the defense of Northwestern. And everybody knew that at Wisconsin going in. The, the, the Onyx was put, I mean, you, you may think, no, Bob Rader, that's the other way around. The Onyx is on the offense because they have to score against the defense. No, what the defense for Wisconsin had to do was shut down Northwestern, limit the damage, make it a low-scoring contest. They did their part. I mean, look at the final score. The offense couldn't figure out ways, couldn't change things on the fly. And let's be honest, the injuries, you only had so many bullets in the chamber. Your, 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 your attack arsenal was very limited, which is why Graham Mertz was, you know, he struggled because he didn't have the same guys that he had in his first two games. So to me, the Onyx was really on the defense to try to shut Northwestern down and limit the damage and keep it within reach for their offense, which they did. Now, they gave up some big plays here and there, but again, it's 17-7 when the dust settles. If your offense can't muster 17 points to at least match Northwestern and make this a football game in the fourth quarter, A, that's on them. B, you tip your cap to Northwestern's defense because they did their part. So Wisconsin's defense, I, I think overall, um, was really good, was really aggressive, made life tough on Northwestern to score points. And therefore, their offense, too, they hung their hand on their defense saying, okay, you guys go, got to go out and win another football game for us, which they did. Yeah. So let's uh, switch gears and take a look ahead for this weekend. Obviously, it's one of the most important weeks of the year for all Badger fans, not only because it's Thanksgiving and we can gorge ourselves on turkey and spotted cow with no regard for our waistbands, but also <laughs> because it's Axe Week. Minnesota coming off of as you mentioned earlier, a contested win against Purdue. Uh, but overall, they've looked pretty sloppy if you take away their game against Illinois. And Illinois has been hapless for a decade at this point. So I, I can't even really consider that Illinois game. And Illinois beat Northwestern. So, and you know, I'm sorry, Illinois beat Nebraska. So, you know, that we can even take Nebraska out. And I, I'm so sick of Nebraska fans. Oh, Wisconsin was trying to, to duck us because of COVID. No, Nebraska can't, you know, Nebraska can't beat anybody at this point. I think Rutgers would be favor over, over Nebraska. So let's take a look ahead to the battle for the Axe in Camp Randall this week. Weekend, what do the Badgers need to clean up most in order to retain the greatest of all collegiate football trophies? Well, well, number one is you clean up the turnovers that you had against Northwestern because if you do that, you have a great chance to score a lot of points against this Minnesota team. Their defense has given up a ton. I mean, 
go all the way back to opening night when Michigan beat them and put up, I think, a 42 spot. So it, um, it really, Matt, it really boils down to that. You, you just take care of the football then you'll have more opportunities to do what you do against Minnesota and they will score. Now, Minnesota has some talent on offense and, and they can score some points too. So do we get into a shootout? I, I don't think so. I think again, if you clean things up, if you execute, if we get some bodies back for the Badgers on offense, then I think they will be fine. I think the defense finds ways to slow down Minnesota, not contain them, not shut them out completely, but slow them down enough and again, the defense will do their part. Can the offense rebound from this? Can they lick their wounds and find ways to be more efficient, to take care of the football? If they do all that, then this shouldn't be a problem at all for Wisconsin to win on Saturday. All right. I agree with you there. You know, Tanner Morgan has completely fallen back to earth for Minnesota this year. And, you know, I, I think that their defense at times is just a sieve. I'm most worried about uh, Ibrahim. Uh, their running back who is someone who definitely can, you know, break big games. But again, we've seen Wisconsin's defense can hold anyone in check. So it's just a matter of cleaning up the turnovers. If they get Davis and Pryor back, or even just one of those guys back, I think it makes a gigantic difference for the offense because they're able then to incorporate, you know, not just the jet sweeps, but they are just so much more experienced when it comes to route running, catching the ball, and just having that game experience as, you know, primary targets that Crumholtz and Dunn just frankly don't have have so um but i want to finish up today's show talking with you a, a little bit about your career because like we said in the intro you've covered pretty much everything uh in, in in your career in sports broadcasting how did you get your start in the industry and how have you gotten to where you are today oh my goodness you, you're making my brain um do a, a 360 or a 180 or whatever to go all the way back i um if, if you want to know where it started, Matt, it started when I was I was calling family ping pong tournament matches in my basement. We uh, we had we would have Christmas gatherings, big family, and I would actually make up brackets because everybody loved ping pong. We were very competitive, and I made up brackets for a tournament. And then one year, I decided I'm going to do play by play into a tape recorder. And so, really, if that's that's kind of where it began. And and from there, I was always the kid who. You know, I listened to the radio and I watched TV and I, and I appreciated great announcers. And so I kept saying to myself, I would like to do that someday. Uh, I, I, I covered sports when I, I went to college at Oshkosh, got my degree. And then I went eventually, my first job was in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, um, was a sportscaster there, you know, doing the daily sportscast at WEAU TV, Channel 13, did that for nine years. Fantastic place to, to start a career. Love the community, love the people, love the station. And um, while I was doing the daily sports, because we also did play-by-play of uh, UW-Eau Claire um, football, basketball, hockey, things like that. And so I got a little taste of it because um, that was just part of our TV package. But I got a taste of that. And it was, it was really something that I enjoyed because I got to prepare for games. I got to know the coaches and the players in depth more than just calling their highlights on a nightly basis. So that's kind of how that evolved. And from there, I, it's just been, um, you know, for, you know, it, it, it's hard to describe because sometimes when I look back, Matt, and, and you force me to look, look back and I think about all the opportunities I've had and, and the different sports that, that I have called, it's, it, it, it's amazing. Not that 
it, it's amazing. I've been given these opportunities and I've been blessed to do it. Um, and I'll share with you this, this one story because it's the most recent and the most unique. Um, uh, a couple weeks ago, I called um, the WIAA Boys State Volleyball Championships for high school. Um, and, and I've done this. I've done the girls and the boys and I've done the, the high school football championships when we play them in Madison. Uh, didn't have them this year. But uh, the volleyball season was able to go through this pandemic. And, you know, kids and coaches and fans wearing masks and wasn't sure if they'd be able to get to the finish line. So they did with the culmination of the state tournament and the final six teams uh, played in Burlington, Wisconsin for the boys state championship. One of the teams happened to be Kettle Moraine, where my son is a player. And I debated this in my head. If they would ever go to state, would I call my own kid in a broadcast? And my first reaction was no, like, like, no, I have to be that crazy dad in the stands instead, you know, and, and I need to enjoy it that way. I can't be, you know, it, too much going on. And then I thought about it and I was like, no, I need to do this because I can be neutral, but it's also, this is a unique opportunity who gets to call their kid right uh we saw joe tessator do it a couple weeks ago yes yes i saw that and and i was i was amazed that he was and he was able to do it and he he was still neutral he called it fair but he also had excitement in his voice which was the perfect call from joe so i thought yeah i i need to do this because it's it's not you know it may not happen again so they go through the tournament. They're, they're in the semifinals. They win the semifinals. Now they're going to play for a state championship. And even in the semifinals, my gut is, is churning because I'm trying to call the broadcast. I'm trying to do a good job there. I'm trying, I'm trying to be neutral, which I, I mean, that part, was, that part was easy because having to do the broadcast kept me neutral. They kept a leash on me from being the crazy dad, okay? So they get to the championship. They win the championship, Matt. They win the state championship for the first time in school history. My kids out there, I just called him Brainerd. I just kept saying, you know, Brainerd with the, with the block, or you know, um, and I even called him out when he made a mistake. But th but it's 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 moments like that, and it's moments seeing. I've called uh, high school championships uh, where friends of mine had their kid playing, and. And I would have tears streaming down my face because I know how much that meant to that family. Um, I've I'm, I'm old enough now. I've called games where a kid is playing and I go, oh, I went to school with his old man. So I, I'm that old. I'm, I'm that guy. But to wrap it all up, Matt, it's, it's all these things that it, it makes every broadcast special and unique and different. And you can't predict what's going to happen going forward when you can prepare all you want and think, oh, this game's going to be a blowout. And then it isn't. And something crazy happens. And, and those are the things that it's not scripted television. It's live. It's happening in front of you. And the moments are truly cherished and truly special. I was going to ask you, what's your white whale? The one event or team that you <laughs> want to cover or call? But it sounds like covering your son is, is pretty far up there. Um, yeah, that was, that, it's going to be hard to top that. I, I would say if, if I get an, if I would ever get an opportunity to call, um, a team that was 
you know, my team as a kid growing up, my boyhood team. And so if, if you check the boxes, you know, that's the Brewers, that's the Bucks, uh, that's Marquette basketball, um, that's Wisconsin Badger basketball, um, the, the, the Packers, you know, so on and so forth. So will I ever get an opportunity? You never know. I mean, who know, in the in pandemic world, who knows if I have to pinch hit for somebody because they, they can't do it. But um, but but there, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm rattling off professional teams. I'm rattling off, you know, NCAA Division One college teams. Those, those would be the pinnacle. But yeah, calling my kids high school state championship was special. Calling this was five years ago. Arrowhead and Kimberly played a memorable state football championship in a snow globe that people still talk about to, to this day and still come up to me and talk about. It, it, it was a great high school football game. It was one of the best games, anything that I have had called or ever broadcast. It was just so well played and so memorable. So um, the memories live on and the memories continue, Matt. Yeah, I think Vandenboom was playing quarterback for Kimberly in that one. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Danny Vandenboom. So that that's another thing is that when you call high school events, to me, high school events, to make them big time, that's a memory for parents and families going forward because they have fun looking back at the DVD copies, you know, when they get, get together for Christmas or Thanksgiving. But then for me, it's like, yeah, you just mentioned it. There's Danny Vandenboom. I have called high school games of kids who go on and become professional athlete. Kavon Looney, um, who's playing for Golden State, did a bunch of his games when he was a basketball star at Milwaukee Hamilton High School. I mean, that you know, the, the Watt brother. I've called every single Watt brother playing football and some of them playing basketball too. So it's things like that. When I get to see kids go forward and become professionals or Olympians or what have you, it's kind of cool to go back and say, you know what? I saw them back when they were just a young and back in high school. Absolutely. All right. Well, listen, Bob, thank you so much again for spending a little time with us here today. Uh, let the people know where they can find you. They can find me on Twitter because I'm there, you know, enough, especially during Badger games, calling out officials like you and, and complaining about everything else. It's simple. It's at Bob Brainerd, B-O-B-B-R-A-I-N-E-R-D. Find me there on Twitter and hit me up, chime in, agree with me, disagree with me, whatever. I love the back and forth, especially during games. All right. Well, Bob, like I said, thank you so much again for joining me. And until next time on Wisconsin. I'm Wisconsin. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.